I'm trying to read the uh, Nazi membership card of Prince Bernard, but these Nazis really have terrible handwriting. Yeah, I know, like doctors. It's Friday, October the 6th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Darach, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Leovarden Ramptourist, and with me today is Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Ministry of Horror Survivor. Yes, you've been to Leeuwarden? Uh, I haven't been to Leeuwarden, but um, I think I will be at some point, uh, because as a British person, uh, I am instinctively drawn to the place with the strongest concentration of uh, cannabis in the Netherlands, and apparently that is not <laughs> Amsterdam, <laughs> according to the latest uh, figures from the, uh, the, the the sewage samples, that, that, uh, uh, because the Dutch are uh, so famously meticulous about uh, uh, keeping taps on what's in the water. Leeuwarden actually has more... Um, uh, residues of uh, of weed and skunk in the water than Amsterdam. So I'm assuming there will now be a stampede, given that Amsterdam, of course, has got this campaign to um, to try and deter uh, Brits from turning up in Amsterdam and uh, getting uh, stoned and uh, harassing uh, women in the red light district. Uh, Leeuwarden mm. will now be the destination of choice for all those stag parties, I think. Which will be to the delight of uh, the mayor, uh, Siban Puma, the former leader of the CDR, <laughs> of course, uh, who was famously yes. wanted to curtail cannabis cafes and cannabis use oh, in general. Right. And right. now it uh, seems to have landed on his doorstep. I've been to Leeuwarden uh, two weekends ago, I think, right now. And yeah. uh, I was welcomed with an enormous sign <laughs> saying that uh, with, with with the rules of the of the you know uh, the public areas and yeah. uh, it, it said no public urination uh, no public drinking no weapons no drugs uh, and so no, no, I was no, just be, no being British on on holiday basically yeah yeah yeah, yeah, what, yeah. It, what it says yeah. I, I was just surprised to see such a huge sign because I've never seen it anywhere, uh, not even in Amsterdam. So I was thinking, what, what a weird welcoming is this? <laughs> because if you ste- step outside the station, you, you immediately see that uh, huge sign. And uh, I was also surprised to see there was a red light district in Leeuwarden, ah. which I never knew about. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Leeuwarden has all the ingredients for, an, uh, for a great... For British a great British night party. out, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, um, uh, uh, hope maybe they can just extend the ferry to uh, to Harlingen, and then yeah. uh, uh, the, the Brits can uh, can take the train to Leeuwarden or or the beer feet, yeah. uh, whatever they prefer. Uh, so yeah, I think there is a, uh, a huge market uh, opening up in Leeuwarden now. Yeah, now now come to think of it. Yeah, I think it's already got started. So uh, yeah, so if it, for Friesland, brace yourself. For yes. Uh, yeah. For, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the, 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 that, that's one uh, the horror that we've had to confront this week. Uh, you've um, uh, got more stories from the Ministry of uh, All Things Horrible. Um, I think uh, also also to do with uh, the, uh, what, what is or isn't in the water or the sewage system. Yeah. I think Th- yeah. that's right. Yes, <laughs> there is a ministry, ministerial building in the Hague, uh, Rijnstraat Seven. It's next to the the Hague Central Station. Um, it used to house a, 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 a different ministry. Now it houses the Foreign Office, and they had. A 
renovated it, I think, in uh, around 2015 or something. They completely renovated it. They hired a star architect. And um, it was opened up again. And immediately it turned out to be a very shitty building. <laughs> um, they had installed a designer staircase where, uh, 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 where public servants fell off because they couldn't see the steps. Mm. It was a very depressing atmosphere because of the color scheme they used. They had abolished um, uh, 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 offices, right? So everyone had to... It was a sort of Hunger Games for... For a, yeah. for a working so spot scrambling for hot desks yeah yes there was no privacy whatsoever so yeah. you, if you if you were having a phone call you couldn't because everyone well, was if you having a breakdown because of the, just the depressing atmosphere of the ministry everyone <laughs> everyone could you had to do it in the full view of your colleagues yeah, yeah. yes endless stream of complaints <laughs> yeah. uh, even though it had won a prestigious uh, architecture ar- architectural prize of course this building um, and now there is a new episode uh, that turned up this week and that is that the eco-friendly toilets uh, are not functioning ah. so um, uh, they had to uh, the, the toilets got clogged all the time and uh, the, you know all, all the all the toilets were out of service uh, for, for, for months in a row um, so now they have uh, hung up an instruction on how to use these eco-toilets you have to uh, <laughs> Uh, press uh, the button for three seconds at least. You cannot throw away anything else than than uh, than toilet yeah, paper. Yeah. Um, so uh, 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 a lot of meticulous instructions yeah. on how to use a toilet, <laughs> all uh, to avoid uh, the the building from uh, from uh, from collapsing. From getting clogged up uh, with uh, yeah. yeah with with human waste, which uh, yeah. yeah, which some people would say that uh, a government ministry is uh, already has quite enough of already. But uh, <laughs> is this also the building where they had the floor that you weren't allowed yeah. to dance on, or they, you you couldn't stack uh, piles of uh, photocopier paper because it was too weak. And you couldn't hold two uh, meetings with more than twelve people That's or something right. because otherwise, yeah, uh, yeah the the, the it, it was too dangerous. Uh, yeah, um, indeed. And then uh, then Minister Steph Block had to ban dancing parties, which uh, was all, all, uh, seems like this something he he would love to do, yeah. banning banning all the fun. But also, it was uh, it raised a lot of questions because you know why on earth are they having so many parties at the foreign office uh, <laughs> dancing parties Who specifically dancing parties yeah. so yeah, yeah so um, it was it was quite strange yeah. so but it's, it's good it's, they it's, stamped it's, that out although hopefully they didn't stamp too hard on uh, that very vulnerable <laughs> floor <laughs> <laughs> indeed so this is just another episode in this long uh, uh, a series of, of, of problems this this building yeah. is uh, is suffering from and uh, yeah I, I I feel sorry for all the public servants who have to go to that uh, um, award-winning building every day. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, if you're ever offered a job in an award-winning architectural building, don't take it because don't take it's it. bound to be an absolute hellhole. And uh, the architect of this building, uh, she was also hired to oversee the renovation of the entire Binnenhof, which is another a whole different story. But yes, it was it, it, it was her. So uh, yeah, it, it is. She's she has been sacked at some point, and that's only 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 uh, only for the good. If you see what what has come of this particular building, yeah. So she's got form. Okay, uh, all this talk of op- uh, open spaces uh, doesn't really bring us around to the op of the week, uh, but uh, yeah, we have some uh, really good top notch. Um, uh, four-legged Ophef. So take it away, Paul. Yes, yes. This is also a a traditional Ophef, sort of. It's a recurring uh, Ophef, isn't it? Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, It's been way too long. Probably our second most um, 
a fruitful source of OPEF uh, after Forum for Democracy. Yes, and uh, and uh, ministerial buildings. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been way too long without Predator OPEF, and this week we had a very good one in store for you, uh, because last Friday what appeared to be a wolf was spotted in the city of Harderwijk in Gelderland. Videos of the animal running along the shoreside boulevard, passing terraces and restaurants filled with people were shared on social media. And some people were wondering if they had just seen a wolf running past them. The scene was made even more bizarre when a motorized policeman appeared to escort the wolf away from the city. BBB leader Caroline van der Plas shared the video on Twitter, sarcastically adding that wolves are indeed very shy. Mm. However, the police in Gelderland quickly came into action again and commented under her post that the animal in the video actually was a dog and that it was reunited with its owner. Reason enough for the pro-wolf camp to make fun of Van der Plas all day. Uh, She acknowledged uh, her mistake but added that the reactions were somewhat exaggerated. She said, I only need to raise my little finger and it results in ophef. The owner of the dog, which is called Takodo, recently moved to Harderwijk and while he was at work, Taki, for intimi, yeah. uh, ran outside uh, when a plumber left the door open. The dog followed its usual route in search of its owner, passing the restaurant. And in an interview with the Gelderlander, and in an interview with the Gelderlander, the owner criticized Caroline van der Plas for stirring up an already heated debate about whether or not there is a place for the wolf in the Netherlands. Politicians should think twice, especially if you see how unnecessarily scared people were because of her tweet. Hmm. It, it, these were bizarre images, and I have to say, yeah, I'm not a wolf expert. I'm also not a dog expert, but uh, I could understand why people thought it was it was a a wolf running along the boulevard over there so uh yeah i i can understand uh, the the yeah little amount of panic that was uh, spreading in harder bike yeah well link to the uh, video in the liner notes you can see it you would have done double take i think if you're running along but then i think uh, you would also have thought well hang on a second uh, is that really a wolf just running through a crowded um yeah um, you know uh, area full of uh, terraces and people walking about that is not really their typical behavior yeah, um, that's right. It's uh, more likely to be a dog. It's not the first dog resembling a wolf that's uh, caused a stir. In uh, there was also one that chased a cyclist, wasn't there? In, uh, in yeah. I think Friesland, uh, that turned out yeah. to be just a big dog. So yeah, and there were I think even more incidents with with big dogs and wolves. But yeah, it is it is. Um um, how do you say that? Uh, we are so we are talking so much about wolves that every time we see something that only slightly resembles it, uh, we immediately think of the wolf. Yeah. Uh, while a couple of years ago, people would just have assumed that it was a dog because we never discussed wolves. So it is a bit of a self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And um, uh, yeah, but uh, um, the assumption of Caroline van der Plas that it was indeed a wolf, yeah, is also yeah not good and i think the owner of the dog has a point uh, yeah we, we, we don't comment until you know all the facts well that's and, the thing uh, yeah, i think unfortunately caroline van der plus has been guilty of that before as you're getting caught yeah. up in, uh, in an op-pef and they're tweeting without actually checking her facts first and uh yeah then having to walk back but uh there we are anyway good good, good to know that takoda is safely back indoors and uh, hopefully the plumber keeps the door shut from now on Yes, and hopefully uh, the plumber won't uh, won't have a job at the uh, Dolphinarium because uh, yeah, or, or, or be in the re- Ministry of Horror either. <laughs> fact, maybe yeah. that should be his penance. Actually, yeah, should be you will have Hague plenty of jobs to, in that ministry. To, to, to yes. unplug the toilet, unblock the toilets in the in the Foreign Affairs Ministry.
This week, Vopka Hoekstra has a Damascene conversion in Strasbourg as he lands a top European job. The 5 Plus Party Conference descends into mayhem. Amsterdam wants even more rules to curtail Airbnb rentals. And after 228 years, the leader of a slave uprising in Curaçao is officially rehabilitated by the Dutch state. And that's just in time because a vacancy has just appeared for a card-carrying resistance hero. The uh, European Parliament's Environmental Committee grilled Commissioner-designate Wopke Hoekstra in a three-hour hearing on Monday evening. Even though it was supposed to last two hours, but there were some problems with the microphones yeah. and with the interpreters, so they had to... They had to move to a different, different room, different didn't room. they, at some point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It was all very um, chaotic. It, it was, yeah. It, it was almost as if they held the, he- the hearing in Ada and not in uh, Strasbourg. Yeah, or, or, or it was organized by five, by, by five to plus. Yeah. Yeah. Hoekstra was uh, nominated last month by the cabinet to replace Frans Timmermans as climate commissioner, which needed a majority support by the European Parliament. Timmermans resigned after he accepted the leadership of GroenLinks PvdA and decided to run in the November 22nd general election. MEPs questioned the former foreign affairs minister and CDA leader over his positions on environmental issues and greenhouse gas emission reduction, fields that Hoekstra hadn't shown particular interest in until now. And so how did the hearing go? Fantastically. Uh-huh. Um, at least uh, uh, what languages is, con- is uh, concerned, because he answered the questions in six languages, almost beating the record of Frans Timmermans. Uh, and that uh, surely flattered many of the MEPs present, even though he did make a tiny mistake when he yeah. answered one of the Danish MEPs in German. In German, yes. Uh, yeah. uh, and uh, she said, yeah, I, I speak German, but please uh, continue <laughs> in, in English because, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not... And then, then he, po- he apologized. He said, yeah, this happens to the Dutch all the time as well, that we are confused yes. for for, uh, for, for the, the Danish or, yeah. or the Germans. So, yeah, th- there was some sort of uh, uh, common ground there. Um, Hoekstra expressed his uh, deep belief and commitment to tackle climate change and promised to install a European-wide tax on kerosene and accelerate the EU's emission reduction to 90% by 2040, setting an extra goal in anticipation of reaching climate neutrality by 2050. This came as a complete surprise because until now, mm. as I said, we have never heard Hoekstra say anything on this topic before. Well, yeah, well, there's certainly nothing positive on it. I mean, yeah, this is why I referred to Damascene conversion uh, earlier on, because yeah. uh, suddenly he's, 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 he's speaking the language of, uh, uh, of, 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 of climate change and uh, green renewal, whereas uh, only a year ago he caused a huge stir in the cabinet because he suggested that the, uh, the targets to reduce nitrogen em- emissions were too ambitious and perhaps we should push the 2030 deadline back to 2035. Yes, yeah. uh, and he was also asked uh, about his uh, CV, uh, which contains names such as Royal Dutch Shell and McKinsey. Uh, he was confronted with CDA uh, positions from its party manifesto, but he said that he only had a limited role in the party, even though he has been uh, uh, the, the chair of the committee that wrote the party manifesto in 2017, and he has been CDA leader since 2021. So, yeah, to say that that is a limited role in the party... I doubt it. It's a slightly, yeah, d- yeah d- maybe a diversion from the truth. He was also criticised by Southern European MEPs about his uh, harsh position on the, establish- on the establishment of a European fund to help countries recover economically from the coronavirus pandemic during his time as finance minister. 
uh, but he said, I didn't sufficiently consider the difficulties some member states faced. Yeah, um, which again is putting it quite mildly, isn't it? Because at the time what he said was that Brussels should investigate why Italy and Spain didn't have enough money to cover um, you know the 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 the, uh, the consequences of the uh, of the pandemic on on, um, uh, on their healthcare system. Yeah, yeah. and he, he also pushed for um, uh, demands on reforms, uh, yeah. economic and uh, budgetary reforms of these countries uh, before they uh, were eligible to get money from this fund. So yeah, yeah his again a a a a a, a, a U turn from uh, from his previous yeah. standpoint. But yeah. I think uh, yeah, I, th- I think the Southern European countries will have not forgotten uh, to see exactly the language that he used in the middle you know, of a, of a pandemic, at literally at a time when hundreds of people a day were dying in these countries. Um, and that uh, Hoekstra seemed to think that it was more important to um, attach conditions uh, of budgetary reform to their coronavirus support, uh, which was went down went would not go down very well at all. But uh, yeah, he did eventually uh, re- re- recant and repent from that position, and uh, uh, the coronavirus uh, um, support funding was put in place. So, what did you think of his language skills? Yeah, I am. I didn't watch the whole of the hearings. I have to say, um, but uh, I mean, I, I know his. Uh, they mentioned that he uh, used six languages, didn't he? Although I think uh, his French was very fleeting. Although I've, uh, perhaps he used more of it later. But I seen. I mean, he opened with one sentence in French and then switched to yeah. English. Uh, his, his German. Yeah. I've, I've heard him speak German before. His German is pretty good, and uh, um, yeah, for the rest, uh, which other languages? I think there were the odd bits of Italian as well thrown in, and uh, what else? Yeah, and Spanish. And, and Spanish, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. French we already mentioned. Yeah. Um, he, um, he, he only said a, a, a single sentence in these languages, right? It yeah. wasn't like Franz Timmermans who, can, who could answer the entire question in, uh, in, in the native languages of some of some of these MEPs, so it wasn't as impressive as as Franz Timmermans was. No. But I, I was I had never heard him speak English, and I was quite uh, quite surprised oh, right. by that. I, yeah, so no, um, I've, 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 he, he spoke I've, better I English he than, than in, uh, in German. I can't remember where it was now a year ago, but uh, no, I, I knew his German was pretty solid. Uh, but uh, hmm. so certainly, yeah, the, the, the English and German and Dutch, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly language he, he can um, uh, credibly say to be fluent in. The others was more of a bit of uh, window dressing, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. If he if he speaks uh, German so well, we should uh, ask him about his memberships in the past. Because uh, <laughs> yes. um, okay, so yeah, did Hoxha get the job? Not. Immediately, there were some hurdles for Hoekstra to take. A large portion of the committee, especially the Greens and the Social Democrats, were not convinced by the mountains of gold Hoekstra promised. Yeah. MEPs described Hoekstra to the NOS as a transformer. First, as CDA leader, he was against every climate policy, and now he's even more ambitious than Timmermans, they told uh, the NOS. Hoekstra had to answer an extra set of written questions with a 7 a.m. deadline on Wednesday, so he had to work through the night. Mm. He promised uh, more transparency about his previous jobs and formulated more realistic plans than he uh, yeah, expressed on Monday. Uh, this convinced enough MEPs of the committee. Uh, he reached a two-thirds support from them and uh, that is required to confirm his nomination. It has to be confirmed, or I think it was confirmed yesterday by the European Parliament where a normal... Um, uh, a majority is is required yeah. but uh yeah that is that is a formality so uh, in the end he got the job but not uh but not uh immediately it wasn't a straightforward path yeah but i think the key no. thing here was i think the the green and the left wing meps wanted to make sure they tied him down to some serious uh, solid commitments on 
um, uh, energy transition and uh, green reforms uh, rather because uh, you know the suspicion was that he'd been appointed by von der Leyen to try and take a more conservative line on uh, yeah. the environmental policy so uh, yeah the the, the 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 parties that are in favor of more ambitious environmental targets and um, measures to meet them uh, wanted to make sure that Hoekstra didn't deviate well, actually was committed to uh, continuing the work of Timmermans uh, in the role yeah, and he uh, in the hearing he um, really had some ambitious plans, and even so ambitious that these the the, the parties where they were afraid of wouldn't uh, wouldn't uh, be convinced uh, that he was he was going to be a, a, a good climate uh, uh, commissioner. They said, "Well, you are being a little bit too ambitious. Let's tone it down. Uh, be more realistic." So uh, that was also interesting uh, to see happening. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- we also have to um, uh, make a correction to last week's podcast because we said that uh, Ada was a nice place to live, and now it turns out that um, that uh, yeah, d- 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 actually no, it's a hellhole. Uh, what's been going on in Ada yeah. this weekend? Last weekend? Well, fifty plus held its party conference there, and to nobody's surprise, it resulted in absolute chaos. But the level of chaos was uh, was surprised even even. Uh, uh, even the worst enemies of the party. Yeah. Uh, to those who don't know, 50 Plus is a party that focuses on pensioners and uh, it won one seat in the last elections but lost it after its MPs split from the party and continued independently. Uh, despite its long history of scandals and infighting, 50 Plus is currently projected to win one seat but uh, yeah, they probably uh, have thrown away their last chance to ever win a seat this weekend uh, because of uh, yeah, this incident. A disagreement over who should lead the party in the next election resulted in actual fighting at the conference. The police needed to come into action to escort one leadership candidate out of the building. And the whole incident was live tweeted by a former party chairman who holds countless grudges against almost everyone still left at the party. So yeah, his his comments were very juicy. uh, Yeah, uh, yeah, they they went absolutely viral. And um, 50 plus is one of these parties that nobody takes seriously anymore but yeah it is uh, it is always uh, always fun to watch them, yeah, uh, watch yeah, them have an apart. infight yeah, yeah, yeah. and and someone uh, someone called it the 80 year olds war this, uh, this party <laughs> conference which yeah. i thought was a very excellent uh, yeah. joke yeah yeah so uh, yeah real handbags at the 50 plus uh, party conference and uh, do we need to dive into the nitty-gritty of the disagreement because i i i, <laughs> I did make a deep dive but i'm not sure i'm, if, not, sure, if I'm we... not sure we really need to we just need to know that old people yeah. were fighting at the party conference yeah. and it was quite amusing but uh, yeah hopefully um, nobody ended up in hospital Basically, there was um, there's there's some kind of fight basically between um, a faction uh, that was led by a former final director and the, um, yeah. uh, the, the and and, uh, um, and and the chairman was accused of recruiting lots of uh, supporters from Brabant. So it was a kind of a final yeah. versus PSV standoff. Really, yeah, 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 indeed. Yeah. And here, Dallas, the, the the former chairman who was live tweeting the whole event, he. Uh, at some point, uh, tweeted a letter uh, in which yeah the the Brabant um, uh, 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 candidate was uh, expelled from the party, and he had sort of uh, redact tried to redact the personal information from this letter, but he did a very poor job. So mm. you could just see his his address, <laughs> yeah. and if you looked it up, you found you can if you looked that address up, you you saw that it was in uh, bed and breakfast in Hoester. <laughs> and given given the party history with bed and breakfast yes. owners, I I I understood why they didn't want him as their new leader yeah 
Yeah, no, you can get that as well. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so yes, yeah, so, so all this kicked off because boomers still can't use email and um, uh, pr- pr- properly. <laughs> yeah, or, yes, or, or understand about uh, online on, on, online anonymity. So uh, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, we've got a couple of uh, public service announcements as well uh, on the election, haven't yes. we? Uh, because uh, um, yeah, because if you are a uh, Dutch national uh, living abroad and you want to uh, vote in the upcoming election, you have until October 11th to register your intention to vote. Um, you have to do that, uh, but you you vote, st- vote you still vote by local post. If you live in the Netherlands and you are eligible to vote, you just get your stamp pass. Uh, in the mail, you don't have to register. No. But if you live abroad, then then you have to do that. So uh, yeah, you have until October 11th um, if you want to. Yeah. And also, um, the Dutch News has organized a survey um, on uh, your voting intentions, and if you can vote, we would like yeah. to know uh, where our readers uh, stand and our listeners as well. So uh, we have a link to that survey in the liner notes, and you would be uh, it would be very helpful if you uh, would fill it in. It will only take a couple of minutes. Absolutely, and um, you can complete the survey whether or not you're eligible to vote. Uh, if you are yeah. eligible, uh, would we like to know what party you intend to vote for or would like to vote for? And uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. Whether or not, uh, how many of our um, of our readers and listeners on Dutch news uh, are able to vote uh, and are intending to? Um, and there is a prize. Uh, and there's a prize. You, uh, yes. If you fill in, if yep. you fill in the survey, you can win a uh, twenty euro. Twenty five euro, I think. Oh, twenty five yeah. euro. Yeah. A book to- uh, book token from the uh, ABC, the American bookstore yeah. in Amsterdam uh, or the Hague. Or yes. um, Leidschedam now, because they also have a store in Leidschedam. the uh, Mall of the Netherlands. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> the most dreadful place of the Netherlands after Almere. Well, well, the second most dreadful place after Ada and the Horror Ministry. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Ada, yeah, we can add that to the list as well. Um, and uh, there's also... Uh, Starting today, we have uh, extra episodes for our Patreon supporters, uh, where we will, uh, uh, yeah, explain uh, to you what uh, uh, which parties you can vote for in the upcoming elections, yeah. and what they stand for, their recent history, who their leader are, yeah. uh, what their ideology is, and just to make you, um, yeah, learn a bit of a little bit more about uh, Dutch politics. There are. In total, 44 parties that have uh, registered to uh, to take part in the yeah. election. We will not cover all of them, only the 15 We're most likely up the top, to win the a top seat. 15, yes. Yeah. Yes. Because this um, is Dutch politics. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, because uh, no. all 44 would be just uh, insane. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, we will... Um, discuss three parties every episode so uh the next five weeks there is uh, there are uh, extra episodes yep. coming up for patreon supporters yeah exactly so it's, it's like a part work um uh, for a bit of uh, extra bonus content that uh, gradually builds up uh, builds up over several weeks into a beautiful um uh, patchwork quilt of political parties Average wages increased by 6.1% a year in the third quarter of 2023, outstripping inflation by the fastest rate this century. That's according to figures published this week by the statistics agency CBS. The CBS said recent pay deals, such as a 9% increase for teaching staff, had helped to correct the the effect of high inflation last year, when real wages declined by more than 5%. But the CBS expects inflation to cool to around 2.6% over the third quarter, which means wages are ahead by 3.4%. Public sector workers uh, saw the biggest increase at 6.8%, while those in the private sector, uh, their uh, pay went up by 6.1% on average, and people working in subsidy-funded institutions earned 5.3% more. 
The Hegeslauters are people working in renting and selling property, estate agents, so weep for them because they only managed a 2.5% pay rise. Another blow for Prince Bernard. Yes. <laughs> oh no, that's a different one. No, it's a different, yeah. Another blow for the royal, fam- the royal family, though. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so who else is uh, missing out on big pay increases? Women, apparently. The pay gap oh. has widened. The gender pay gap has widened in the last two years, uh, according to research by jobs website Intermediaire and the Nijnrode Business University. Men's pay has gone up by 16.4% in the last two years, but women have only had a 9.1% rise on average, which is below inflation over the two-year period, mm. and that's driven up the pay gap from 5% to 7.4%. The researchers didn't analyse the reasons for the difference, but suggest that maybe men were bolder when it came to asking for a raise. And uh, not such a big rise for people on the minimum wage as well, right? No, because uh, MPs have had to water down their plans to raise a minimum wage and uh, offer various other sweeteners in the budget legislation. Parliament had voted for a package of measures that would have added 4 billion euros to the balance sheet, including a 1.7% rise in the minimum wage. But after some pushback from uh, Finance Minister Sigrid Kaag and civil servants, that's been cut to 1.2%. They've also moderated a proposed bank tax, which was due to raise 350 million euros a year, which has been revised to 150 million. And a tax on share buybacks won't come into effect until 2025. It was originally planned to come in next year. Finance Minister Sigrid Kaag had criticised the plans for being uncosted and having unwanted knock-on effects so that people on minimum wage who receive government support for housing and healthcare might have had to pay back some of those benefits if their wages rose because it's all means-tested, she warned. So you could say uh, these politicians had offered uh, a little bit too cheap beer? Maybe, too, mu- the, too much uh, free beer, which uh, yeah, yeah. people would then have had not, to not re- free, return the free yeah, beer. Less cheaper than, uh, than, uh, than, than it actually costs, yes. Um, and house prices are also going up again, right? Well, yes, it looks like people are spending those bigger pay packages on mortgages because despite it rising interest rates, house prices have gone up for the second quarter in a row. Between July and September, they increased by 1.7%, and that follows a 2.8% rise between April and June. Prices are still down year on year, but the uh, margin has shrunk to around 1.7%, and the number of sales fell slightly on a monthly and annual basis. Those figures come from the Estate Agents Association, NFM, which is responsible for around uh, 7 in 10 house sales. The figures show there is dynamism in the market and buyers are confident, according to Lana Gersen, who's an estate agent and NFM's head of housing. But it's not all good news. One of the reasons that prices are going up is that there's a, a shortage of available homes. So hmm. a squeeze on buyers, basically, particularly new build houses. The CBS said uh, the sales of new-built houses had halved in the second quarter of the year to 3,300. The number did pick up in the the third quarter to 5,400, but that's still quite a lot less than last year. Yes, and the shortage of housing is not uh, decreasing. uh. No, it's, uh, if anything, the uh, the backlog is building up. And uh, the the housing minister uh, hasn't made good in his plans to build, what was it, 90,000 houses a year? I can't remember now. A lot. A lot, yeah. Anyway. The discovery of the late Prince Bernard's original membership card has irrefutably proved he was a member of the NSDAP. Yeah. The, the, the National Socialistische Deutsche Arbeiterspartei, or the yes. Nazi Party as we more commonly know it. The card was found in his uh, private archives. Philip Maarschalker Weert, who is the former director of the Royal Archives, found the membership card when making an inventory of the prince's private papers in 2019. 
Prince Bernhard, who was born in Germany in 1911 and is the grandfather of King Wilhelm Alexander, had always categorically denied he was a member of Hitler's National Socialist Party, even after a copy of his membership was found in the United States in the 1990s. He did admit uh, to having been an aspiring member of the Sturmabteilung, or SA, and the Schutzstaffel, or the SS, supposedly, supposedly because he couldn't graduate un unless he participated a little. Um, yeah, I, I always thought that um, being a member of the Nazi party was a prerequisite of joining the SS, but yeah, mm. can be wrong. Um, I swear on the Bible, I have never been a Nazi, I have never paid party dues, I have never had a membership card, Bernhard told the Volkskrant in a uh, supposedly tell-all interview published after his death mm. in 2004. The card shows the prince joined the NSDAP in 1933 and his membership was terminated in 1936, which is the year he got engaged to Princess Juliana, the heir to the Dutch throne. The prince fled to England after the German invasion in May 1940, along with the rest of the royal family, and during the war Prince Bernhard became the symbol of the Dutch resistance and the fight against Nazi Germany, reaching almost legendary status, um, and which is... Uh, Probably the reason why he, ha kept, he has kept uh, this membership so secret uh, for such a long time. Yeah, he was keen to sort of suppress uh, the, the, the evidence that he'd been a member of the Nazi Party because he thought to uh, yeah, he, he, he'd rather uh, emphasize uh, the, the positive side of his uh, wartime experience. Yeah. Yes, and there is an interesting uh, anecdote here because uh, he fled to, 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 to London and he wanted to get involved in the fight against Nazi Germany, but um, British intelligence services didn't really trust him because mm. he was a native-born German and he was investigated by uh, a, a certain... By an, by um, an MI, MI6 uh, uh, officer. Who was named Ian Fleming, yeah. uh, and uh, yeah, he determined that uh, there was nothing Nazi-like uh, uh, about uh, uh, Prince Bernhard, and he was uh, yeah uh, admitted war effort. He also founded. Um, a fund called the Spitfire Fund, which raised a lot of money, and uh, it resulted in uh, I think uh, uh, a hundred. They could buy in the end uh, one hundred Spitfires or something, mm. and uh, um, a couple of uh, warships. Um, and that was that fund was later transformed in the Prince Bernard Culture Funds. Um, so yeah, uh, and it is said that um, Prince Bernard might have been the. Um, uh, inspiration for the James Bond character because he he, he, he was so flamboyant and he loved he, he race liked cars, cars and didn't he? Yes, 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 and he was uh, he was uh, he was a playboy and yeah, um, yeah. It, it 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 is sad, but uh, I couldn't really find this confirmation. But it is said that during one of the many lunches Ian Fleming had with Prince Bernard, uh, he would always order a martini shaken, not stirred. Ah. So that this might be uh, where that comes from. Um, it also needs to be said that uh, Ian Fleming also included a, a certain Bond film with the name of Lippe. Count Lippe, um, Count, yes. Yeah. And uh, Prince Bernard was born as the Prince of uh, Lippe Biesterfeld. Mm. So might not be entirely... Uh, Ian Fleming might not entirely have been a fan of, of Prince Bernard, but yeah. who knows? But yeah, but it's not entirely implausible that he was uh, maybe uh, uh, one of the inspirations for the uh, character of James Bond. Uh, and he wasn't a black-white character; he was a very grey character. Yeah. So yeah, it might be that uh, yeah, he, he uh, Ian Fleming had uh, inspiration uh, also both for his hero and his uh, his, and his villains. villains. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, what have been the reactions to this uh, discovery? Because there's uh, been a lot of commentary, I guess, that uh, was it really a discovery when it was uh, such common knowledge that uh, that 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 he had been a member of the Nazi Party. 
it has been sort of a public secret, yeah. yes. But yeah, when you when we actually find the the original Nazi membership card, yeah, it it shines a different light on it. It is uh, 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 indisputable proof now. Yeah. And several MPs have requested a deeper investigation into the Nazi past of the prince. Israel Information and Documentation Center, CD, called the prince's denial uh, painful and it would support an investigation, adding that it is important to get all the information out. The NEOT Institute for Holocaust and Genocide Studies said it would not support an investigation at this point because there is already a new biography coming up. So uh, they want to uh, wait until that book comes out before deciding more research is necessary. And the Prince Bernard Culture Fonds, I already mentioned it, the former Spitfire Fund, said it was surprised by the existence of the document. And Prime Minister Mark Rutte called the discovery confrontational, um, but he doesn't feel a government investigation is necessary because the prince's membership has been common knowledge for some time. And also, um, all the information is out there, so yeah, no further investigation is required, he said. King Willem-Alexander also responded. He told journalists on th Thursday, we need to face the past, including its less beautiful parts. Earlier this week, Probably in anticipation of the revelation, the king decided to allow to open uh, the royal archives up to September 1948. And that is the day Queen Juliana ascended the throne. Mm. Yeah, and he did make a point, I think, when he was uh, questioned about it, uh, to say that he, he realized that this would have an impact on the Jewish community. So that was his first uh, first reaction. So he, he's yeah. not, at least he, he is not... Uh, uh, trying to hide, sweep this under the carpet, or belittle the significance of his uh, his grandfather's membership of the of the Nazi Party. That's right, and um, yeah, I also f feel that uh, Prince Bernard has proven uh, in his later life that he is, uh, uh, yeah, uh, that he was um, more against the Nazis than uh, than he was uh, in favor of them. Yeah. Um, but still, it is uh, it is a. Uh, I think it's uh, not so much the membership. I think it's the it's the denials afterwards. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the, denial. the fact that he constantly yeah, said. Yeah, yeah. And he, I mean, he actually, I mean, the historian who um, who found the copy, I think a, a guy called Alders. I mean, he he actually rang him from his deathbed to to repeat his denials, and uh, you know he did, all, he did yeah. everything he could to discredit Alders' status as a historian. I think that's what um, uh, the, the really sore point really sore point there. Yeah, 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 I agree. He, he kind, of felt, like, he kind of felt like he was untouchable, you know. That if he if he just yeah. if if he just lied about it, uh, nobody would ever uh, be able to, uh, to, to to prove the contrary. Yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, we mentioned uh, Prince Bernard last week as well. So uh, yeah, we, uh, mm. we 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 should stop mentioning. Are, are stuff they going to chop down yeah. the statue in Hadefax <laughs> now? <laughs> They're going to castrate his monument. Yeah, I, do, I don't <laughs> yes. think so. And earlier this week, probably an anticipation probably in earlier this week probably in crap oh. earlier this week probably in in anticipation of the revelation this is a really to real yeah, tongue twister a real tongue twister yeah airbnb rentals are proliferating again in amsterdam despite the council's efforts to curb the sector but the number of properties listed for rent is still less than half the level before the new rules are brought in there are currently 7,800 rooms and apartments listed for rent. That's down from 18,000 at the oh. start of 2020. But a recovery from the big dip during the coronavirus pandemic when the number dropped to around 3,000. Three quarters of listings are for entire homes and the average price per night is 241 euros, oh. which is uh, seems quite steep to me and 22% higher than a year ago. 
The figures have prompted questions about whether the rules that came into force in July 2020 are being properly enforced. Homeowners must register their property as a holiday let before advertising it, and they can only rent it out for 30 days a year, and there are big fines if the city council fines people breaking the rules. Landlords face a penalty of up to €3,000 per infringement, although some have successfully gone to court and challenged the fines as being Mm. excessive. Short-term rentals booked through sites such as Airbnb, Booking.com and Expedia now make up a quarter of all holiday accommodation across the European Union, according to EU data. Uh, So is the council now uh, planning to bring in more rules? Yes, of course they are, because we're in the (laughs) Netherlands. So more bureaucracy, more legislation is the only way. PayFDR council leader Leon Heinhaus said Amsterdam should look at new restrictions in New York, where people can only... Is Heinhaus an abbreviation of Heinekenhaus? Who knows? Mm. Perhaps, perhaps. People in New York can only let out rooms when they're when they're actually at home themselves. Oh, really? So you can't just move out to a campsite for the summer and rent your house to tourists. Yeah. Uh, so you, and if you book an Airbnb in Amsterdam, that means you actually got to uh, share the space with an actual Amsterdammer, which I think if that doesn't yeah. put people off, <laughs> I don't know what will. Uh, it'll certainly stop people booking uh, Airbnbs in Ada. <laughs> yeah. Heinhaus said uh, Airbnb began as a friendly concept, but it's grown mm. into a problem, which we as a council have little control over, despite the rules. And Amsterdam is one of 13 cities across the EU that are popular with tourists, uh, also including Paris and Barcelona, who have called for the European Union to take urgent action to limit short-term rentals because it's having a corrosive effect on the regular rental market. People who actually need to live in the city just can't find anywhere because all the places are being rented out to tourists. Amsterdam has also recently raised its tourist tax to 12.5% of the room rates, which is the highest in Europe and the fourth highest in the world. Yeah, if you want to go to Amsterdam, just um, book a hotel or an Airbnb somewhere else, uh, and you can just uh, go by train there every morning. And you can use yes. the NS trains. Yeah. The leader of a slave uprising on the island of Curaçao has been formally rehabilitated by the Dutch government, 228 years after he was put to death. Tula was the leader of a group of 50 captive slaves who downed tools on the Canepa plantation on August 17, 1795, and they marched towards Willemstad, the island's capital, to demand their freedom. They, they were inspired by the... Um, uh, the French Revolution. Yeah, by the French Revolution. In, uh, and the Batavian Republic. And the Batavian Republic, which yeah. was uh, formed uh, with military support from uh, the new French Republic. Uh, Liberté, égalité, yeah. fraternité. That's uh, yeah, what, what they were yelling as they were... Marching towards Winston, yeah. yes. Yeah. Nine members of the group were killed when they refused to go back to work, and the leaders, including Tula, were rounded up and horribly tortured before being executed on October 3rd. Prime Minister Margrethe referred to Tula when he apologized for the Dutch government's slave trading past in December last year. He promised Tula would be rehabilitated. Rutte said during the speech the discussion needed to continue, and his apologies were a comma and not a full stop. On July 1st, during Katikotti, the commemoration of the abolition of slavery in the Kingdom of the Netherlands, King Willem-Alexander apologized as head of state for what he called the hurtful, degrading and dehumanizing experience of slavery and its legacy. Alexandra van Huffelen, she is the junior minister for Kingdom Affairs, proclaimed the decree of rehabilitation at a ceremony in Willemstad. 
The government of Curaçao had already recognized Tula as a national hero in 2010, and they declared August 17th, that's the day of the uprising, to be the day of the fight for freedom. It has an official name in Papiamento, but I'm not going to uh, to try to pronounce no. that. <laughs> yeah, Alexander van Hufflen did uh, deliver uh, part of the decree in yeah. Papiamento, didn't she? Yeah, she, so, yeah. Uh, so. quite impressive, yeah. So uh, that, that's another language uh, Hoekstra has to learn. Um, a monument uh, has been erected on the site of the Kanipa plantation to commemorate the uprising, and that was also the location of the uh, yeah, rehabilitation ceremony. So th- this week we've, we've lost a resistance hero yeah. and we've gained one yeah, yeah, in yeah, some yeah, ways. Indeed. Finally, sports news. And uh, the day the whole country has been waiting for for months with bated breath has arrived. The Netherlands are back at the ICC Cricket yes. World Cup for the first time since 2011. And as we were recording, the opening match against Pakistan had uh, just started. They've bowled five balls and Pakistan are yet to okay. score. So Pakistan are batting. Okay. There we are. So that's, uh, yeah, absolutely nothing to report. Oh, the first over's finished now and they've scored a four. There we are. So four for no wicket after one of the 50 overs. No idea what it all means. <laughs> no, we'll try and... Uh, yeah, I was trying to think of a political analogy for cricket um, and I'm still coming up with one. But uh, yeah, the, the opening match against Pakistan in uh, Hyderabad. Uh, Aranya are the rank outsiders for the tournament, but they're not short of confidence. Head coach Ryan Cook has said the team is aiming to reach the semi-finals and believes they'll have to win five or six of the nine matches to be in with a chance which is a tall order when you look at the opposition it's a host nation india pakistan england australia new zealand and south africa so all the test playing nations are involved cook has banned uh, reference to the netherlands as an associate member so not a full professional uh, team because uh, he says that's uh, belittling for them um he's also promised an all-out attacking approach that has inevitably been dubbed total cricket <laughs> i understood this reference ah uh, good good yeah the Dutch provided plenty of drama in the qualifying tournament in Zimbabwe when they beat the West Indies in a super over thriller. Wollen Sie totale cricket? Wollen Sie totale Prince Bernard would yell yes right now. Unfortunately, they won't, they won't be hanging uh, banners uh, saying, uh, uh, give me Omar's bike back. <laughs> the Dutch have already provided plenty of drama in the qualifying tournament in Zimbabwe, where they beat West Indies in a super over thriller, and then overcame Zimbabwe and Scotland to claim their place in India. They've recalled their county cricket players Colin Ackerman, Paul van Meekeren and Rula van der Merwe, but they've also got homegrown stars in all-rounders Buster Leder and Lorca van Beek, as well as the experience of Captain Scott Edwards and the only veteran of the 2011 squad, Wesley Beresi. One thing for certain is the Dutch will improve on their best World Cup finish of 11th place, and that's because there's only 10 teams taking part this time. (laughs) And uh, after the opening game against Pakistan, they will stay in Hyderabad to face New Zealand. Uh, And unfortunately for them, New Zealand are looking quite good. They thrashed England by nine wickets in the opening match on Thursday. So we'll be keeping you up to date on Arania's progress throughout the first round, which finishes on November the 12th against host nation India. So um, more than a month uh, of cricket fun uh, to look forward to. Yeah, I mean, things, they're playing nine matches, so if nothing else, they'll get a lot of cricket played against the top teams and uh, they'll learn a lot, so it'll be very good for the development of the sport. So, um, taking a look at the chaos in Amsterdam, a World yeah. Cup hero has returned uh, to the arena. Louis van Gaal is back at Ajax, right? Sort of, yeah. He's uh, gonna. He's returned, but uh, at a distance. He's. Uh, he was asked if he wants to join the supervisory board because Ajax basically wants to change the entire board 
following the whole uh, Sven Mislintat meltdown. But uh, Van Gaal has decided he's going to stay at his home in mm. Portugal and uh, uh, operate in an advisory capacity because his health uh, and also his golf swing uh, are too important <laughs> to actually move to Amsterdam. But he he is being treated for prostate yes. cancer, so he he wants to uh, stay in Portugal, which is uh, I think understandable. He's now agreed to help out in an advisory capacity until Alex Cruz can take over as chief executive next March, uh, because in yet another strand of the incredibly complicated situation at Ajax, Cruz uh, has been appointed CEO, but he's he's not allowed to actually start work until March. That's under the terms of a settlement with Azat Alkmaar, which is his previous club. Ajax's uh, uh, supervisory board have been accused of dropping the ball over the Sven Mislintat fiasco. The German was appointed director of football in March, but signed a string of hopeless players. He's under investigation for a conflict of interest over one of the transfers and allegedly lobbied for head coach Maris Stein to be sacked. Instead, it was Mislintat who walked the plank in the second most dramatic fall from grace in Amsterdam this week after Prince Bernhard. <laughs> On the pitch, Ajax were unable to complete an Eredivisie game for the second weekend in a row. Unlike the Classico against Feyenoord, which was abandoned because of crowd violence, the match against Ekase Vavaik was stopped after 85 minutes when Ekase's goalkeeper Etienne Fassen was knocked unconscious in a collision with Brian Brobby. Hmm. Uh, there was nothing malicious in the challenge, but the incident uh, stirred up some uh, very uncomfortable memories of other recent hmm. collapses, like uh, Ajax midfielder Apinuri. So the match was stopped. Fassen was taken off the pitch uh, under blank uh, but apparently he recovered consciousness fairly quickly and Ekase clarified very quickly he'd suffered a blow to the head rather than anything more serious like heart failure and after 24 hours under observation in hospital he was cleared to go home and hopefully he's recovering well yes and um, is there any Better luck for the Dutch clubs in Europe? Not really. There's uh, two entertaining but ultimately frustrating matches for PSV and Feyenoord. Uh, PSV scrambled a late equaliser at home to Sevilla, but Peter Boss was left seething at the way his team went behind for the second time straight after Luke de Jong had scored a late penalty. Hmm. We didn't learn the lesson, Boss said, after Jordan Tezer struck an injury time to make the final score 2-2. And then on Wednesday, Feyenoord looked to be on top in Spain against Atletico Madrid, but Anton Griezmann and Alvaro Morata turned the match around with goals either side of half-time to earn a 3-2 win. PSV are bottom of their group, which is headed by Lance, following their surprise defeat of Arsenal. Feyenoord a third, one point behind Atletico, and their next opponents, Lazio. In the Europa League, Ajax, another chaotic night for them. They drew one all in Athens. All four games in that group so far have been drawn, so the teams uh, are level on points. Uh, Marseille and Brighton are also in that group. Four port cities. Yeah. And uh, Azad Alkmaar managed a 1-0 home win against Legia Warsaw in the Conference League. But the real news there was that two players from the Polish side were arrested after the match. There are all kinds of shenanigans and disturbances outside the Afas Stadium before the game, involving fans who travelled to Altmarber without tickets. After the match, riot police blocked the players' exit and then stormed the team bus before taking away the Portuguese captain uh, Jose Pesquera and Serbian defender Radovan Pankov. Pesquera also is a former player for Fefefe Fenlo. So at least you'll okay. be able to speak to the police in Dutch, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. So 50-plus scenes in, uh, in Alkmaar. 50-plus yes. scenes in Alkmaar, yeah. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. Earn yourself a shout-out and uh, access to all our bonus content. 
My thanks to Palpators, I'm Gordon Darroch, and we'll be back next week. At the Dutch News Podcast, we do our best to keep our coverage shaken, stirred, and purged of Nazi influences, <laughs> but we couldn't do any of that if it wasn't for the support of our loyal and long-suffering patrons. Your contributions mean we can afford to spend the time untangling the week's news, wrapping it up into neat packages, and delivering them in a one-hour festival of news, which is a lot more entertaining than other festivals being organised in the next few weeks. Which we won't go into detail about. But if you've got your tickets for the Forum for Democracy Festival, please get in touch and let us know how you got on. <laughs> I'm fascinated to know exactly what's going to happen. As is customary, we'd like to say a big thank you to all our patrons for your donations, and in particular, three new patrons. So thank you very much to Joseph Farthing, to uh, Sean Van Fleet, and to a patron who's asked to remain nameless. But uh, nevertheless, we are very grateful indeed for your support. Yes. Uh, Sean is from Edmonton in Alberta, in Canada, and he messages to say, I'd like to give a shout-out to my fellow Albertan, Walter Lugman from Calgary. Nice to know I'm not the only Albertan listening. This is Alberta, I think, is going to become the new... Where was it again? Uh, the town in the States? Uh, Min Minnesota, Minneapolis. Minneapolis. The new Minneapolis, yeah. As the hub of uh, Dutch news uh, contributors. So, yeah, Sean, if you and uh, Walter get together, uh, send us a selfie and uh, we'll, we'll put it up on, <laughs> on, on the website. He says, uh, I really enjoyed hearing his question on the podcast, Go Flames. I don't know what that means, but uh, I'll have to look it up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I see it's a sports team. I really hope it's a sports team. Yeah. <laughs> and he also says, I'm looking forward to the bonus podcast episodes featuring the political parties. And of course, that is yep. one of the uh, benefits you will get, as well as a shout out uh, on and the chance to ask us your questions. If you join our respected and discerning band of patrons, and you can do that by going to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com/dutchnewsnl.